everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast, where we look at preventative mental health. My name is Dr. Caroline Heim, and this podcast is actually a live recording of a lecture that we did in 2019 on listening. Uh, look, I don't know if you agree, but listening's really hard. But it is, however, a skill that you can learn. So in this talk, you'll hear about what listening is and isn't, the science of listening, and Christian's actually going to be playing some piano, and we're doing a few fun role plays together to illustrate how to really listen. Okay, so let's listen in. Thank you. All right, what do we hear about today? We are here about listening. Caroline is very proud of the title of this talk. She came up with this one. She said, this is what people in the US tend to say. Honey, are you listening? If we do this in Britain, we call this, are you listening, love? (laughs) Canadians, what would you say? Are you listening, eh? Okay, and sorry. Oh, enough, 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 okay. But if we do this in Australia, then we say, do you hear me or what, Buffett? (laughs) Nice and refined in Australia. Okay, so today it is about listening. It is about listening skills. There are two take-home messages from today's talk. The first one is that listening is a skill that everybody can learn. And the second take-home message is, if we were all able to listen to each other more, rather than judge, then we would all get on a whole lot better. Okay, so more about that in another lecture tomorrow. But today, on with the listening. Uh, We're going to look through uh, what listening is. Then we're going to look a bit about communication and the science of communication. Uh, And then we will look a little bit at relationships and listening in relationships. That's today's topic. So, what is listening? I can tell you what listening is not. Listening is not problem solving. So, males who tend to be natural problem solvers need to work a little bit harder in the area of listening. Listening is also not a conversation. A conversation is a two-way street where people talk and listen, taking turns. Listening, on the other hand, is a one-way street information tends to come in one direction from somebody who is talking to the other person who is listening. Listening is also not doing what somebody tells you to do. He doesn't listen to me is kind of code for he doesn't do what I tell him to. You can listen to somebody without doing what they tell you to. That is not listening. I said that listening is not problem solving, so Frank goes home because Frank has been listening to the listening lecture and he says, don't solve problems, don't solve problems. Uh, Marge says, Frank, what is this suitcase doing here? Oh, Marge, what did you want to tell me about the, Frank, uh, about the suitcase? Oh, the suitcase is here and it shouldn't be here. Oh, Marge, how do you feel about that? What do you mean how I feel about that, Frank? What's the suitcase doing there? Well, Marge, is there anything else you wanted to tell me about the suitcase? <laughs> And she says, yes, Frank, could you put it back on the wardrobe where it belongs? And he says, oh, sorry, Marge, I thought you just wanted me to listen rather than solve your problems. (laughs) But we do know more about what listening is. Listening above everything is empathy. 
I will get you to use your anterior cingulate gyrus, which is in your brain, to make a connection with another person. Listening is being a bloodhound for feelings. Listening is a gift that you give to somebody else. Only humans can talk, which means that only humans can listen. And quite frankly, not all of us can do that terribly well. I used to be a lousy listener. I learned how to do it, and now I do it every day. Above all, listening is accepting somebody without judgment. It is imagining what it is like to be them, just for a short time. And that's actually very difficult to do, because what you have to do is put yourself up on a shelf for a while, just to be there to allow the other person to be themselves. Alright, so why am I interested in listening? Mainly because that's what I do all day long. I listen. And even I don't appreciate how therapeutic listening can be. I started doing work on people's relationships because I was taking care of, let's say, men who had seen a lot of trauma and their relationships were in trouble. And so I would refer them off to a therapist and say, could you please take care of this person's relationship? And I'll get a little letter back that says, fine, I'd love to do that. Just cure his PTSD first. Now, the thing is, I know that it takes years to get over PTSD. By that time, a relationship is over. So I thought I had better learn how to do this. So I started to do relationship therapy, and I now do a lot of it for people who are in relationships and they're battling with mental illness which is kind of a double whammy. I also used to be a musician. Listening is what you need for music. So I'm going to get you to listen to a little piece of music at the moment, and you will find that you go into listening mode. That all of a sudden, time stands still while there is music playing, not in the background, but you're actually there going, okay, I'm going to listen to this music. I'm going to be there with that music. And I'm going to give you something to listen for as well. This is a well-known song. You will know it. It is called Moon River. What makes this song beautiful is the way that the melody has these reaching leaps. And yet it conveys peace. So the image is of the moon shining over a river. And it's a river that two people have an adventure with. So that's why you have the reaching leaps but you have this sense of peace. So I want you to listen to that as I pay, play you a bit of Moon River.
Thank you. I want you to notice a few things when you listen to something like that. First of all, it's sort of like, shh, shh. If anybody's interrupting, you will, you will try to block that out and you focus on the music. And then you go, what did he want us to listen for? Oh, 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 some leaps, some reaches. Oh, can I hear it? Can I hear it? Oh, there it is. I, I, think, I think I found one right there. And you focus on the melody. And then he goes, what else? Oh, oh the piece underneath. And so you try to let the music wash over you and you try to grab the feelings from the music rather than thoughts about the music. So you are actually using a different part of your brain when you listen to music than when you are listening to words. And that is part of the secret of listening. And I'll say more about how we can do that. All right, so communication. Why do we communicate? Uh, we communicate so that we can uh, share with each other. We communicate so that we can understand each other. And ultimately, it's so that we can be closer to each other as people. What do we share when we communicate? Oh yes, we share information. No, it's a lot more than information. Machines can share information. But we share also ideas, intentions, desires, dreams. And ultimately, we share ourselves. Machines don't share desires or dreams. They don't share themselves. They just share information. How do we do that? Well, the main way of communicating with each other is actually through our behaviors, what we actually do. Next is our expressions. The expressions that we have on our face, that's how we communicate. Also by looks, by making eye contact, says so much. Talking, of course, is a way that we make communication with each other. Then, of course, we've invented some new ways of communicating with each other as well. Telephones. Good, we can communicate and we don't even have to be close to each other. Email. Great way of communicating. Texts. Texts become a very sensitive way of communicating. And I'll explain why. When you're talking to somebody, you pick up on the tone of somebody's voice, how fast they're talking, their volume, what they mean by certain words. Now, of course, when you're communicating by text, the person isn't there, but you're still sensitive to those sort of things. Years ago, Caroline and I are driving home, and Caroline says, oh, look, I think we'll be able to have dinner by around 7.15, so I'll just let Reuben know that dinner will be a little bit late tonight, we'll do 7.15. So she texts, Dear Reuben, dinner's at 7.15, love mum, X, which means a kiss of course, send text. Not two minutes later, she gets a phone call. Are you angry with me mum? No, no, why am I angry with you? I, I, I just let you know what time dinner is. Well, you sent me one kiss. Yeah, that's because I love you. You normally send three. And you're laughing because you know it happens. We look for those little inferences in just the little things like that. That's how sensitive we are to each other. Uh, we would like to think that communication is nice and precise and we get it right. You'll notice Caroline and I hold hands a lot. That's so that we can still communicate. So we're having dinner with people and I get the squeeze, yeah? And I go, okay, look, it's been a really nice evening with you, but we have another appointment, you know, so it's time for us to go. And so I hurry out there, 
And Caroline says, what did you leave for? And I say, well, you gave me the squeeze. You weren't having a good time. You wanted to get us out of there. No, 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 I was giving you a squeeze because I was having such a good time. I just felt close to you. <laughs> I went, oh, okay. But communication issues like that don't happen, do they, Caroline? No, no, no. Picture this. We are getting ready for an important dinner engagement with, let's say, a business associate of mine. Caroline and I are getting ready for this dinner. It's, I don't know what time is, and we're just getting changed and getting things all organized, and I innocently ask Caroline, Caroline, what time is it? Oh my gosh, I have so much to do. I've still got to straighten my hair. The plumber's coming at four. He said he would come here at four, but it's, not, it's, it's five o'clock now, isn't it? Then I've got to have all the washing out of my life, and then I've got to talk to Deborah. I don't know how I'm going to get everything done in time. Now, I would have to be listening very carefully to what the time actually is, because I think in the midst of all of that somewhere, Caroline may actually have told me the time. But sometimes, if I miss it, I still don't know what time it is. Thank you very much, Caroline. <clears throat> all right, so do we have any science of communication? Yes, we have a lot of science of communication. I'm going to take you to three epochs when we found out more about communication. The first is with Charles Darwin. In 1872, he wrote a book called On the Expression of the Emotions in Man and Animals. 1872, On the Expression of the Emotions of Man and Animals. And what he noticed is that animals communicate with each other in expressions, right? If a tiger is angry, you'll get kind of a snarl, a growl, okay? And these expressions he found were universal among all creatures. Mind you, if you're a slug, your range of expressions is not that great, right? But his idea was that expressions are to emotions what language is to thought. I'll say that again, that expressions are to emotions what language is to thought. Now, emotions mean to move out. So our expressions show what is moving out of our body, just like language shows what's going on in our head in words. Now, a lot of scientists poo-pooed his idea until we did a study only about 20, 25 years ago where we took humans and got them to communicate with other humans that didn't understand their language from all over the world. And they started to communicate in expressions. So a surprise expression in North America is about the same as a surprise expression in South America. A look of fear and dread in Russia is about the same as look of fear and dread in Africa. So there's something to that that Charles Darwin actually found that was correct. Now I'm going to wind you forward about 80 years to 1952 and an anthropologist by the name of Ray Bird Wistel, yes it's Bird Whistle misspelled, Bird Wistel comes up with a science of body language. And yes, business has really gone a long way with body language because we notice that if somebody's sitting like this, sort of like, yeah, come and convince me, convince me, 
All right? Whereas something like this is more, I'm open to your ideas. And clothing can be provocative, it can be very conservative, it can be formal, it can be casual. But we are communicating through our clothing. And yes, expressions is part of body language. It says something. Gestures, oh my gosh, if you want me to shut up, just tie my hands behind my back. And, and these things are culturally informed. Some cultures use hand gestures more than others. This is all part of body language. And the other thing that he talked about was gazes, looks. And I'm sorry, ladies, but if you walk into a cocktail party, first thing you do is look around to see some of the other ladies, what they are wearing. Am I the most attractive female here? Oh, no, two, three, oh, not good. But all these gazes actually happen, and they communicate a lot. Looks. Did you give me a look just then, Caroline? No, I didn't give her Okay, thank you. She, she does it occasionally. She'll just sort of give me... I'm, I'm sure you gave me a look, Caroline. I didn't give you a look, okay? Okay, it's okay, okay. Okay, fine, fine. And that's what she says. She says it's my imagination. Caroline, I'm sure that you gave me a look. <laughs> Was she communicating or what? All right. So there we had an example of three modes of communication, and they actually got stronger, not weaker. Caroline started off trying to get her message across with words. Then she got her message across with expressions and gestures. Then it was her behavior. She turned and left, right? It says a whole lot more. Okay, so that's the science of body languages. Then we go ahead another 40 years to 1991. We are in Italy at the University of Parma and we have two re uh, researchers, Marco Lacabone and Vittorio Galese. And they've got their chimps. And they're doing experiments on their chimps. They've got their chimps' brains sort of wired up and they're looking for tum, tum, firing neurons in the brain's chimps. Marco's chimp sees a banana and he just starts reaching for it. And Vittorio says, hey, my chimp just fired. What do you mean your chimp just fired? In the area of his brain that says, eat banana, my chimp just fired. Why is that? I don't know, he was just watching your chimp. And your chimp wasn't doing anything except reaching for a banana. That is exactly what happened. And from that little piece of information, we now have a whole science of what we call mirror neurons. Because what was amazing is that Victorio's chimp not only watched what Abarco's chimp was doing, but he could figure out what he was going to do in the future. Not only was he going to reach for a banana, get the banana and peel the banana, he actually was going to eat the banana. And Victorio's chimp had that all figured out. How did he do that? Right? We still don't know all there is to do about mirror neurons. But when we have the saying that the eyes are the mirror of the soul, that actually means a whole lot more than we actually realize. In fact, you will know that there are some people who will avoid making eye contact because they feel that you see too much about them. You will feel that there is a lot more that is being, that is being said through eye contact than we realize. Now, there's probably a lot more being said through touch, 
through the tone of the voice and all these other senses as well because people who are blind can still read you they can read your footsteps and tell you what mood you're in how do they do that mirror neurons we now know that when you poke your tongue out at a baby and it pokes its tongue back out mirror neurons are firing we monitor our behavior oh, how am i doing at this party i hope i'm not looking too stupid okay whenever you do things like that you're using your mirror neurons to monitor how you're going mirror neurons are, are how we learn they are used in social cues they are used in languages they are used in empathy whenever you listen to somebody your mirror neurons probably in your anterior cingulate gyrus working together are working over time ultimately what we're finding out is that we're much more capable of mental telepathy than we ever give it gave it credit for the science hasn't reached that yet but that's the direction that we're going mirror neurons okay relationships how does this all relate to relationships you know that when you're together with somebody <clears throat> at first it's kind of a lot of friction kind of things oh I didn't know you had this habit oh, I don't know you that you like to do these things that way you said what you think what these are your sort of feelings and you have to negotiate your way with somebody who you are getting to know and this is not just personal relationships this is actually all of us but after you spend some time together you get to know each other and that doesn't mean just knowing information and facts but knowing what that means or <clears throat> knowing what that means or <sighs> knowing what that means or knowing what that look means and to illustrate this I want you to imagine that Caroline and I are on our honeymoon so we're winding back all a lot of years and I want you to imagine that we are at the airport and I've got some bags in my hand. Can I've got the reservations done? Don't and late. I have been waiting here for half an hour. It's embarrassing, okay? People are looking at me. It's not good. You're late. I have been waiting and waiting and waiting and you're late. This is going to be a great honeymoon. <laughs> but I want you to now just imagine that we're celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary and we've decided to go on a little holiday and we're at the airport. Okay, so taxi's taken care of. I got the reservations. I got. <laughs> Am I late? You're late. All right. So <laughs> things like that don't really happen. We just make this stuff up. All right. <laughs> That's what happens in a relationship. The friction actually doesn't get less. The same conflicts are there. In fact, you may notice if you're in a relationship that the things that you argue about now are the things that you argued about 5, 10, 20, 40 years ago. They are still there. So my message about this is conflict is okay. It's how you manage it. And if you manage it with listening, then the conflict just doesn't feel that bad, which is why I'm going to give you a little roadmap as to how to listen. To listen, you need listening ears. E-A-R-S. That's today's acronym, 
E-A-R-S. And this is how the acronym goes. The E is to establish an environment to encourage listening. The A is to ask questions. Ask questions. The A is also for saying things like, uh-huh, 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 and all those little grunts that say, I'm listening. The R is to repeat what the other person says as far as possible in the words that they say them. Because when you repeat the words that somebody else says, it shows that you're listening. And if you use exactly the same words, it shows that you are not judging what they are saying, you are not changing what they are saying, you are just accepting what they are saying. And the S is at the end of a listening session to summarize the situation to make sure you've got it. You know exactly what it is that they wanted to say to you. What, Caroline? I need to talk to you. Now? Yes, now. I'm in the middle of a lecture. No, now. We can't wait. Okay, I'm going to use this as an opportunity, a rather contrived opportunity, to show how a little listening session will go. We'll use our ears formula, E-A-R-S. All right? And it's going to be contrived and a little bit made up, but it'll, it'll sort of serve the point. So E is to establish an environment to encourage listening. And uh, right here in private, on stage, in front of 350 people is fine. So this is our uh, establishing an environment. Uh, Caroline, would you like to sit down? Now, you need to imagine that this is in the privacy of an office or a room. If a telephone rings, it won't be answered. A door is closed. Everything is private. That is an environment to encourage listening. Maybe a cup of tea. And what do we do with the A? That's right. Ask questions. So what did you want to talk to me about, Caroline? It's about you being late. It's about me being late. What about me being late? Well, you're late all the time. Like, at the dinner party the other night with Nicole and Roel, we were just sitting there for about half an hour until you arrived, and I didn't know what to say. I kept on making excuses for you, and it was just really embarrassing. You just, you're late all the time. Okay, so you needed to let me know that I'm late all the time, and that when we were with Nicole and Rowan, you had to wait for a long time, and you feel embarrassed, and you yes. have to make excuses. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, is there anything else you wanted to tell me? Yes. When you do that, it makes me feel hurt and, and even abandoned. I, I'm just there by myself. It's really hard. So when I'm late, you're there by yourself, and you feel hurt and abandoned? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Is there anything else you wanted to tell me? Yes, I'd like you to change. <laughs> After 30 years, you want me to change? <laughs> Even if you're 15 minutes late, it would be better, okay? okay? Not half an hour, though. It's always like 20 minutes, half an hour. 15 minutes, then 10 minutes. Okay, so you wanted me to listen to how you feel hurt and abandoned because I'm late all the time. Yes. And if I could, you'd like me to change on this? Yes, please. Okay. Is that all that you needed me to say, say Caroline? Is that all that you needed to say? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Oh, okay, okay. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Caroline. Okay, as contrived as it was, that was a listening session. And it ended because Caroline felt heard. I want to make it very clear that I've made no promises to change. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not.
<laughs> yeah, okay. And, and that's actually a big difference between a listening session and a problem-solving session. A problem-solving session is we may start talking as to how I could do that. Then she'll throw in some ideas, I might throw in some ideas, we might end up in an argument, I don't know what, but that's a conversation and a problem-solving session, not a listening session. In a listening session, Caroline spoke for at least 80% of the time, and I, I shut up. It was like listening to that piece of music. I didn't want anything else to disturb. I was there just to try to get to know what Caroline needed to tell me at that time. I was there to hear her, to feel what it was like, to get to know what the feelings were underneath, and to basically know what it's like to be heard just for that little point in time and accept Caroline without judging her. Now that's all very difficult to do. All right, so today we've looked a little bit at communication, the science of communication, and listening, particularly as it uh, uh, refers to a relationship. But you can use this with absolutely anybody. Okay, so remember the listening ears, E-A-R-S, establish an environment to encourage listening, ask questions and say, uh-huh, grunt occasionally. R is to repeat things the way they say it, and S is to summarize the situation. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>